0: Well, we are, I am, I will say I am, and we are unapologetic at Cornerstone Church um, for worshiping for extended periods of time. I know we live in a generation, and a culture that lives by 140 character tweets. <laughs> we live in a glitz and a glam and a fast pace and a hurry up and let's get to the point, let's get through, let's... But how else do you learn how to abide in Christ but by spending time, extended times, learning to abide in Christ? Are you tracking with me? And I am just convinced. um, Man, Lord, I don't want to say it. He spoke to me this morning in the secret place. There's times when the Lord speaks to you and you're like, Lord, is that supposed to be a secret between you and I or am I supposed to tell somebody? Does anyone know what I'm talking about when the Lord deals with your heart? Oh, boy, I just got into hot water. I feel it in my heart. So that means I probably ought to share it. We're all adults. Well, most of us are adults. I was thinking this morning about intimacy. And if the act of intercourse within marriage, I know I said the word, I know. (laughs) I got over it, now I don't have fear, praise God. If your idea of intimacy is simply in a married couple, talking to married people, the act of intercourse, and that's the only form of intimacy in your marriage, you will have a crummy marriage at best. Are you tracking with me? Okay. It takes relationship, it takes dialogue, it takes serving each other, it takes give and take, it takes friendship, push and pull, humility, repentance. Amen on the repentance in marriage, come on somebody. I was thinking about the act, and we don't get off the act, okay, we're in church, but we got to be able to talk about stuff in church, right? If our idea of intimacy with our spouse or with the Lord are just these, these few moments, but we don't cultivate relationship, we don't cultivate dialogue, we don't cultivate a friendship, we don't spend time with, we don't learn the rhythm of the other's heart. If we don't spend time abiding and marinating in his presence and feasting upon his word, did you know that just like a marriage that will be on, its, uh, on, on life support, a relationship with God many times on life support. Can I get an amen? amen? Because we treat our relationship with God like these moments and then it's just that moment and then I go live the rest of my life for my own purposes and my own will, but I want you to know the essence of Christianity is this, that you can have as much of God as you want. In Christianity, the red tape between sinners and holiness has been removed through the cross. And now through the grace of Christ, the wooing of his presence, Christianity is utterly unique and glorious in that we have constant access and exposure to the creator of the cosmos. And so if intimacy is just this blip in my friendship with God and it's just, okay, I got a little bit of God and now I'll go live the rest of my 156 hours for myself. I want to, want to tell you that like a marriage that would only view intimacy as those moments a few times a week, maybe, or a lot, whatever. We'll talk later after the service. We just went there. Praise the Lord. Can I just tell you this? I think we've lost an entire generation for many reasons, but one of them is because they came into church and no one was talking about what they were really thinking about and going through. I need a bigger amen than that. Did you know that the church is to be the place where young people and old people can see what intimacy, what marriage, what friendship what, what, what it looks like to be able to have dialogue and questions. So I'm not sorry for saying the I word this morning. Praise the Lord. <laughs> not, and here's what I'm discovering. My wife has not once applauded me. Don't listen to this, sweetheart. Hit the stop on the tape. <laughs> when you have three kids... I'll just say this: I've changed more poopy diapers in four days than I have in months, and I'm not a deadbeat dad that just sits over in the corner. I'm active. I am. I'm a helper. I'm not boasting. I'm not. am not the best, but I'm. I'm. I'm decent. <laughs> I'm not at all the best. I am. You just wish you could have heard me last night. Sometimes I get upset at my daughter. But what I'm discovering in this whole issue of intimacy and relationship with God that the one and the ones that you serve are the ones that love is cultivated in your heart toward did you know that that the more you come under and submit and you choose to serve the other whether it's a child or a spouse or a colleague or a friend or a coworker something happens in the human heart when we take the posture that our king took he came to serve mark 10:45 and not be served and to give his life the more our lives take his shape, the more his character becomes our own. Amen. That's just the intro. We'll talk about the sermon now. I was thinking about that in my devotions. And the reason that we want to become a praying people, and it's not just songs or requests or lists, it is in the place of prayer and why we're adamant at Cornerstone Church. And frankly, when Jesus talked about his church. Twice the word church is mentioned in the Gospels, Matthew 18 um, and Matthew 21, uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 21, twice church is mentioned, and one of them he calls the church what he wants it to be known by, namely a house of prayer. So church is mentioned in the Gospel. The word church, twice, one is dealing with interpersonal conflict. Thanks a lot, Lord. I think he knew we would need that one how to deal with strife between each other. And the second was he named his church. It's gonna be, they're gonna be a house of prayer. And the reason we're adamant about it is because we wanna be a people who abide, rest, cling, walk with, commune with, and constantly keep the conversation going between us and God. And if Jesus lived his entire life with whatever he says, I say, whatever he does, I do, speaking about his father, Wherever he tells me to go, I go. When he tells me to leave a town, even though thousands are gathered because healing just broke out, I'm gonna to go to the next town. When the crowds are chanting and shouting to make me king, I'm gonna to look to him. Nope, not time yet. I'm gonna to go to the next town. And beloved, Jesus is our prototype, the one we are to emulate and go after. And all God's people said amen. amen. Well, we are gonna start a new series today. And it's... Uh, Called Heartbeat. And I know it's time, you know, we're so diverse, and many people have come, some have come from different churches, different backgrounds, different areas. I just feel like it would, um, we would be remiss to not begin to solidify and to begin to communicate who Cornerstone actually is. Now, I just have to say, here at the very beginning. Cornerstone is not this building. And Cornerstone is not just the church that is across the street from Olive Garden, contrary to popular belief. (laughs) Oh, the church by Olive Garden. You know what? They should start paying us for publicity. Publicity. Cornerstone Church is a people. And where you go, you represent the people of Cornerstone. More specifically, where you go, you represent Christ, Holy Toledo. And so we want to clearly go after and paint the picture of what it is that makes Cornerstone unique. Here's the deal. There's a billion churches around here. Right? And so, it's important for us to discover and articulate what makes us unique, knowing we're not in competition, we're in partnership to see the city transform through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Cornerstone. You can go on our website, so I don't have to preach the webpage. page. And you can check out some of our verbiage and our language, some of our little sentences and paragraphs. And I really, I encourage you to do that. But I wanna preach about our first core value, which is that we at Cornerstone Church believe that there is no substitute for a genuine face-to-face encounter with Jesus to transform a life. That you can learn and listen and go to study after study. You can know the entire Old Testament like the Pharisees and religious scribes and leaders of Jesus' day. And you can miss the very one to whom they all point, John 5, 39 and 40, namely Jesus Christ himself. The word is a light for our path, a lamp for our feet, light for our path, only because it points us to the one who is the light of the world, John 8, 12, Jesus Christ The words of scripture are powerful because they bear witness to the all-powerful one. Are you tracking with me? And so at Cornerstone, our number one core value to just begin the whole thing is we believe in the power of God to encounter humanity. And in that collision, there is a life transformation that no one can can talk someone out of, that no one can debunk, because we actually believe that God can transform our lives. We believe in the power of an encounter with God. This is what, by the way, again, distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. And in a world where they're not exactly lining up at our door, And many of us can get critical and grumpy about our culture, but I want you to know why I love our point number one is that the world is waiting for an encounter. The world. I mean, I was thinking about it this morning as I was driving into work. We're all looking for an encounter to change our life, whether it's the South Beach diet, high-carb, low-carb, no-carb, P90X, the jiggle thing. (laughs) This guru, this gimmick, don't tell me an entire generation and world is not looking for an encounter, for something to shake and shift us from the mundane of life and get us into purpose and identity and destiny. An entire world is begging for it. And the beauty about Christianity is that our God actually does it. No, come on somebody. In every other world religion, it's learn these rules, empty your mind, obey, pray seven times a day, go to this mountain, go to this Mecca. In every other world religion, it's about just think and focus harder on yourself. But in Christianity, God put on skin in his son and he came face to face and he said, this is exactly what I look like, what I love like, how I give and serve, this is me. It's just, and why I don't care, I don't care if I'm passionate this morning, but I have to be, listen, because we, we can grumble and complain about a culture, I wouldn't want the church 99% of it either, because most of it is just us and our own flailing and our own preferences, but the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ has power to save and heal and set free. So we believe in encounter. We believe that when the gospel is preached and embodied and demonstrated and given and declared and shared and whatever else rhymes with all those good words, <laughs> then when the Spirit of Christ comes into a dead heart of a sinner, boom! Something happens. A new life is conceived, and that dead and sin person is rescued from the dominion of darkness and they're established in a new kingdom that is full of light and has a new master, God himself. At Cornerstone Church, we're unapologetic about believing and leaning into and inviting people and to become a people of encounter. Now, as we talked about, it's not just about the encounter. Well, don't worry. It's a six-week series. There's five other E's. (laughs) But the Apostle Paul, trained under Gamaliel, he's one of the smartest guys in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, in all of his zeal, in all of his scripture, in all of his memory, in all of his thoughts, in all of his training, in all of his opinions, in all of his religiosity, you know what it got him? It got him a face-to-face encounter on the road to Damascus where it blinded him. He fell off the ground and Jesus showed up and his life was changed. That's why we have 13 That's why we have 13 books of the Bible, because there is something you can't learn. There's something you can't just continue to invest and ingest information. There's a time and a place in people's lives when the gospel encounters them, and they're forced to make a choice. Encounter. This is why we pray before the services. This is why we pray, this is why we pray, because like we said, it's not hard for God to do anything. It's hard to become a people in a place where he can do what he wants. That's what we've been saying for about 14 weeks since I've been here. It's not hard for God to save someone. It's not hard for God to break chains of addiction off someone. It's not hard for God to restore a marriage or a friendship. It's not hard for God to make a limb grow or for ears to open or for eyes to see or for the dead to get raised up. What's hard for God is that he comes where he's invited and where he's wanted, mostly. And that's why we pray at 10 o'clock in the pre service. We just say, God, let this be a place of encounter today. Let this be a place where businessmen and women, stay-at-home moms or dads, school teachers, nurses, doctors, retired. Where are my retired people at? (laughs) Retired. Lord, let this be a place of encounter where they come for an hour and 15, and their other 156 hour of the following week is radically transformed because they've met with Jesus face to face. It's what we're going after. Amen. So let's let's talk about that. Can we? There's a story that illustrates encounter better than most. It's in the book of Acts. Chapter 3. Let's see if this works. Boom. I just want you to know, at Cornerstone, we're up in our game this weekend, okay? Someone say, it's about time. It's for you, Pastor Ron. If you're watching, I'm learning, buddy. The cloud of witnesses is cheering me on this weekend. One day, Peter and John, a little background, okay, hello, the disciples see Jesus ascend after he was resurrected, he's gone, he's at the right hand of the Father, they're waiting in a room, the Holy Spirit's poured out, God comes in fire and wind, and he changes their life, Acts 15, 9 talks about the event when their hearts were purified by faith, this is Peter talking about Pentecost. They were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit enabled them to speak in other tongues or languages. Fifteen nations gathered in Jerusalem heard the gospel in their own language. Come on. And after Peter preached the gospel, the coward Peter preached under the anointing because of his encounter with the Holy Spirit and 3,000 were added that first day. You tell me if you believe that an encounter can change a ministry. Come on. A church, a life, a marriage, a friendship, a whatever, a business. A school, come on. And so here we are in chapter two. The disciples have to be buzzing. Chapter three, what's so cool is here's what it says. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, I'm not gonna preach on every line, so get over it, it's okay. It's important to note You cannot reform or bring life to something you hold at arms distant and criticize. Where are the disciples going? Come on, somebody. That's why church matters. With all of our warts and wrinkles, you can't reform or transform or see revolution, revival come to something that you hold at arms distant and criticize. Are you with me? And here's the apostles still going to the temple. God left the building, people. He wasn't in the temple, but they said, you know what? We're still going to go through our patterns and our our lives. We know that he's in us. He's not in that building, but he's in us. So we want to go to the building to see him come and touch other people. And the Jews gathered three times to pray. Morning, 3 p.m. and dusk or sunset or sundown. And they're going to the place of prayer. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those who would go into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have but what I do have, read it with me, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then the disciples decided to throw a back to school campaign with cool logos and website and graphics to garner followers he worked really hard to get the word out about their lives and about their message wait wait then the cripple who was touched because of his encounter with Jesus through the disciples he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He's going to a temple, this cripple, who was a cripple from birth, And he leaves the temple in the same state he came, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, while all the religious people keep busying themselves, passing him by, throwing a couple coins to ease the pain of their conscience, but he leaves unchanged until he meets some Christians, some ambassadors of the gospel, representatives, the walking, talking temple, called a Christian, the ones who carry and house the very presence and power of God within us. Whoa, come on, Ephesians 1. Same power that raised Jesus is in you. Yippee. And they're walking, and this lame man represents all of us that try to get what can only come by revelation and by receiving, namely through an encounter uh, uh, with Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit. So he's just laying, he's sitting there, he's sitting there, he's sitting there. And isn't it interesting that arguably one of the greatest places that are forsaken among us in the church, and certainly in my life, personal life, that it's on the way to prayer the miracle happens. Now that will preach. I didn't even mean to jump, but that will preach, people. That arguably the most forsaken place, we don't usually forsake Bible studies, And I'm not pitting the Bible against prayer. Trust me, I'm not. I'm a Bible guy. I love it, love it, love it, love it. But you know, it's not the one in the room that knows the most Bible who's the most mature. It's the one who, with whatever is said, they obey through the power of the Spirit. That's the mature one. It's not knowledge, information garnering, I need more Bible, I need this, I need this, teach me more classes, more classes, more classes. I'm not saying don't go to classes. We're going to have 50 launching here in a few months. But what I am saying, there comes a time, and this is why prayer is so crucial, where I take the information, the revelation, and it's in prayer, in the place of prayer, where I offer myself to God for his purposes and for his glory. That's prayer. Okay, what's the word say? I pray it, I pray it. Lord, pray that word. Let that word become flesh again in me, like Jesus was the word made flesh, so that, like Jesus, God can break in and through in my everyday and everyday circumstance in life. How many want that kind of Christianity? I do. And it's on the way to the most forsaken place of the modern church. We don't forsake technology or uh, apps or, or you know whatever, or iPads that are cool, that can control the screen, screen as cool as that is. It's really cool. But the one number one place that's arguably forsaken is the number one thing, if you flip over to Acts 6, don't flip there, that the apostles knew they were devoted to two things, to the word of God and to prayer. These are just the people that started the entire Christian church, not that big a deal. They were not really that important. But it was so important to them to devoting themselves to the gospel and to prayer and to teach others about those things and model it and demonstrate it and give it and call and equip so here's this guy on the outside of a temple, and I'm telling you, there's, there's thousands outside these doors who are sitting lame. There's thousands, thousands, thousands that, have there, that, that thank God they've given up on en- empty institutional religion, but they're waiting for someone to walk by who's encountered the one who wants to encounter them. A couple lessons we can learn. Isn't it interesting, go back to silver and gold. Did you know that uh, we don't have a money problem at Cornerstone Church? We don't have a money problem in the West. I'm not criticizing, but I am a student of Ecclesial. I'm a student of church, as I should be, in the country and the nation. We don't have a money problem or a talent or charisma problem. We have what the disciples had. We have have a crisis of the power and presence of the God who wants to encounter people still with his life-saving grace. I'm just telling you, listen, you can read and study, like I read and study and think and I, about churches in the world and all these numbers, of whoever made up the numbers, or I'm not saying they made them up, but that every, 85% of churches were plateauing or declining or no churches growing. Don't get grumpy, the good news is coming. I'm just telling you, we don't have the silver or gold we don't have. So that's the number one thing the church usually wants and needs. And we think that if we only had resources, we could see God break out. But I'm telling you, there's something God wants to do at Cornerstone Church and in Cornerstone people that transcends and is way more powerful than what's in your bank account. Listen, I don't have silver or gold. We were fishermen who followed this rogue rabbi for three and a half years. We waited in a room. The spirit poured out. We don't have many means. We just have the one through whom all things are possible. But what I do have, I give you in Jesus' name. Beloved, he wants to do something in our hearts and our lives. He wants us to be a people who've not only encountered him, but who lived to see that encounter transfer and touch someone else. Silver or gold, I don't have. Not many of us could say that. We're we're rich, man. I'm not anti-money or anti-resource. Praise God. Thank you for your resources. That's amazing. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, there's going to be a better building. There's going to be a better speaker. There's going to be a better musician. There's going to be a better facility. there's There's better, 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 better. But there is no substitute for the power and presence of God when the gospel is declared. There is no substitute. That's why it's our number one core value, the encounter, the power and presence of God. Why? Because someone who's genuinely encountered the gospel of Jesus, they become the better billboard anyway than any Facebook, promo, page, whatever. Come to our church, we're amazing. Look at our new series and I'm gonna do all of that. I've been doing Facebook, Instagram stuff, trying to get us up to date a little bit because it matters because a generation, they're on their phones all day, not just young people, but old people. Come on, y'all, Facebook fiends. I know y'all out there. And so I'm trying to do all things, 1 Corinthians 9. I want to become fresh and relevant. I want to reach young and old and retired and working and new and parents and all this. But I'm telling you, there is something that, has, that will unmistakably, they will leave, not talking about the preacher, the music, the pulpit, the pew, the whatever. We want people coming and leaving talking about Jesus, the one they encountered. And you can't fake that, that's the bummer. We can do everything else, we can buy new lights and sound system and this and that, but you can't fake the genuine encounter with someone who was dead in sin, the blind man in John 9. The Pharisees are just trying to talk him out of Jesus. How'd you really get healed, dude, tell us. I don't know who the guy was, his name was Jesus, I just know I was blind, but now I see. And in this cripple in Acts chapter 3, you can talk about all you want, people going to the temple and Pharisees because later in the next chapter they get arrested and they get told to shut up and stop preaching Jesus. That didn't work out good. But here's this cripple who encountered Jesus. He becomes, listen, life transformation will always be way more appealing than an Instagram or tweet, Facebook post or whatever. The power of a transformed life which comes from an encounter with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I gotta hurry. Cause y'all are getting, getting grumpy. I'm having so much fun. You know how fun it is. It's so fun to get out of the house. Can I just say it? <laughs> rewind, rewind. I really do love my kids and I love my wife but it's been gnarly, I, 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 uh. <laughs> Listen, stop the tape, don't really stop it. When I say stop it, I'm kidding, don't wanna mess it up. <laughs> but the week before she was due, I stayed around the five cities, because everyone told us, man, Caleb came in like three hours from first contraction to birth. I'm like, I'm not missing my, the baby, so I stayed around the five cities and just worked mobily, but I was sort of home a lot, but worked mobily at a coffee shop. Then the week he was due, obviously, I'm not coming down here. Okay, no, no Benjamin yet. And then the, he was seven days late. So then the following week, I'm home a lot, working upstairs, trying to find some quiet place and all this stuff. And I just say it's good to be here. <laughs> oh. What are we even talking about? Let's just close in prayer. Oh, mercy, mercy. Encounter, encounter, encounter. <laughs> a, li- a lame man from birth. One encounter with the resurrected Christ. That, by the way, dwelt in ordinary. Listen, I'm so glad for Acts chapter four, verse nineteen. When 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 they get arrested in the next chapter, the disciples are standing before the, basically the supreme court of their day. That's that's legit. Uh, those who were looking at them. Here's what they said about them. They're ordinary, unschooled fishermen. But, uh uh-oh, that's a good but. But they've been with Jesus. Do you see it? What's the difference between the but? Jesus. What will be the difference of your life and my life, not just in this building, but when we go out, take care of our families, friends, workplaces, lives, Jesus. There's a couple quick lessons I just want us to unpack for this story. And football hasn't even started yet, so you all got nothing to do. Which, by the way, I just want to put it to rest. Are we a Raider house? Are we a Niner house? Are we a Seahawk house? Are we a Ram house? What are we? Jesus. You can't say Jesus. Obviously, we're a Jesus house. Duh. I didn't know, once football started, where my people will be. Like, if the Raiders are playing, I'll know, oh, there's the Raiders section. There's the Niners section. Be well, we, we really need to pray if there's Raider fans in here. Hey, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, so just you pray for me, too. All right, some lessons. Let's get into this really quick. Everyone stop. Listen up. Quit having fun. It's church. <laughs> the first lesson that we learn from the story, among all the other lessons you've already hopefully learned or heard, is that we see in the story, there's just some simple little quick little points. And I can, I'll, I post all of this on our website and when I upload the sermon, so you can get all my notes up there. Number one we see is that people are beautiful. Listen, the God, like... The story of God does not, does not start with that humanity is sinful. The story of God starts with God created man and saw that it was good. Amen. Come on, someone, you all need to hear that. If you're just told from the get-go that you're a screw-up, how many know usually you live up to what is declared over your life? The story of God starts with a good God who made a good creation for pleasure and for friendship and communion and relationship. The first lesson we see is that this lame guy, I don't think it's an accident that he's at a gate called beautiful. People are beautiful. This is just a little quick note. Just amen me and I'll move fast. We learn that people are beautiful no matter their state, no matter their condition, no matter if they're lame or gross or this or that. God, there's intrinsic value in every man, woman, boy, and girl by virtue that they were created by a God who loves them. He made them in their own image and he loved them. People are beautiful. But what else do we learn about the story? People are bound. People are bound. We're not just products of our environment or had a bad juju whatever day or my, 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 uh, my balance is, listen, people are bound. If you, listen, all have sinned, therefore all have given the deed and title of their life over to the one whom they obey. And all of us, Romans three twenty three, have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned. We've come into agreement with the enemy. And if you sin, John 8, 34, and that's the pattern of your life, tells us you're a slave to it. So even though people are beautiful, and that's the most, that's so true, we see here, like the lame man, whether it's literal lameness or spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, whatever, people are bound. But that ain't the end of the story. We see because of our boundedness, we see the effects of the brokenness all around us. I don't need to, I don't need to unpack this one. Just say amen. What, what happens to a world... What happens to a human, what happens to a person that breaks covenant with the one who is life is brokenness. What happens when that happens? (sighs) When we go outside of God, outside of his purposes in relationships or to cut corners in our business, how many know your sins will find you out? Bummer. People are beautiful. They're bound and they're broken. We see brokenness all around us. I was gonna show a video on Father's Day, which I'll need to show it, it's, amaz- it's not amazing, it, you'll weep, but it shows just the epidemic of fatherlessness in this generation, it's, an, it's stunning. 70%, of, 50%, 30%, you just need to YouTube it, you'll just weep like a baby. Listen, people are broken for many reasons, but all of them stem from because we've chosen to put ourselves at the center instead of God and his ways. People are are beautiful, but they're bound and broken. here's what's going on. In this world, out there in the city, in our neighborhoods and workplaces, in our homes, people are looking for empathy. Now, what is empathy? Empathy is not, oh, that's too bad. Empathy is this rich word that says, I am going to get on your level. I want to identify myself with what you're going through. I want to feel what you feel. How many know people are looking for that? People are looking for that. When the church, listen, the church isn't this community that lives on the outskirts of town, even though that's where our church building is located. The church is the community that's to go into the world that because we've been freed from sin and from ourselves, we can get on whoever's level and say, I see you, I feel you, I know what you're going through. Did you know that an entire world is looking for empathy, the ability for someone to relate to them? Empathy, this lame man, God knows the, the, the shady businessman over him who would place the lame man to beg. You know, there's systems of injustice all around us and oppression. And this cycle of of, of sin, this cycle of just yeah, does anyone see me? But did you know that we're to be people who have eyes that can see? People are looking for empathy. This is why Jesus fully was made like us so that in every way he could relate to us. Aren't you glad? Some of y'all are tired. You need to sit up. We're almost done. People are looking for encouragement. Now, encouragement is not just, oh, well, things will get better. But people are looking that when, you, when you're empathetic and you get on their level and you come and without an agenda other than you want to know, them to know they're not alone, that you see them, that you feel what they feel, that you're for them. They want to know that in that place, that in the end, things will turn out. And I want you to know there is one who is over all of this and things are headed to their intended conclusion, namely Ephesians 1.10, where all things, someone say all things, are going to be brought under the lordship and head of Jesus Christ. We're to anticipate that day by being his people who do his bidding and his will in our daily lives. And that's how his will and his purposes are coming. And so people are looking for empathy, but they're looking for encouragement. Do you love me? Do you see me? Am I alone? Do I have to stay stuck? Did you know an entire world is wondering, do I have to, does it just like this forever? Has anyone ever felt that? Come on. Do I have, am I just stuck with this life? Am I stuck with this sin or this bondage? I'm looking, listen, we're to be, listen, people are looking for encouragement. No, you don't have to stay stuck. Come on, somebody. I'm making everything new, the Lord Jesus says. Did you know that everything and all are some of my favorite words in the scripture because they mean everything and all. People are looking for encounters. I'm just convinced. listen. They're looking for something that will dislodge their life from its current trajectory and path and get them on a new path. I'm not saying all of them would say a Christian path, but they're looking for something to change their life. And I want you to know, Jesus said it himself. There is a way, well, not Jesus, but the writer of Proverbs said, there's a way that seems right to humanity. In the end, it always leads to death. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you follow me, John eleven twenty five 25 and six, even though you die, the worst thing everyone's all afraid of, you don't really die because I'm the resurrection and the life. And so, people are looking for an encounter for something to alter the trajectory of their life. And we as believers can say, it's not a big red tape, religious, learn all these things, it's you can actually know the one who made you. No other religion would say, I know God. No other religion can stand on a platform and say, you can know God, you can love him, he can change your life, no other. And none. every other thing is do, 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 do. But Christianity is namely about receiving and living out of what you've received. People are looking for encounters by faith. In the name. Listen, when they're asked about how the guy got up, by faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see now was made strong. Come on, it's Jesus' name. It's Jesus' name that, him, that this guy is completely healed. Jesus' name. Why is it Jesus? Because Jesus brings forgiveness. Come on, talk about encounter, talking about the story in Acts 3. When Jesus saw the paralyzed guy drop through the roof in Mark 2, he looks at him and he tells him, uh, contrary to what everyone expected, what Jesus's first would be to a paralyzed guy on a mat who just got dropped through the ceiling, your sins are forgiven to which all the religious people start going nuts. But unfortunately that day, Jesus can read their mail. Did you know that Jesus knows what you're thinking even when you don't say it? And he says, what's harder to say to a paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven, or to say to a paralyzed guy, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up and take your mat, go home. Did you know that Jesus brings forgiveness? The whole world, listen, Listen, the whole world is living, they know. Listen, you know it in your bones when you live under the weight of your filth and your sin. There's an entire generation, entire world that's living with slumped shoulders and heads down. Did you know it's not our job to show them all of their sin? Did you know that the Holy Spirit's vocation in the earth, John 16, 8, is to convict the world of sin? Did you know that? That Jesus didn't come. Uh, it, says in, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21 that he didn't count our sins against us, praise the Lord, but he took his, this, our sin on him. Why? So that he could reconcile us, he could forgive us, bring us back to God. Jesus brings forgiveness, Jesus brings freedom. Yippee. Jesus, when he started his ministry, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to, buy, you know, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus' entire job and vocation, 1 John 3, 8, was to walk around and to destroy the works of Satan in the lives of people. Jesus brings freedom. This is why we believe in encounter. Jesus brings freedom. And then finally, Jesus brings fullness. Listen, He doesn't start and then stop working in us. He will carry it on to completion. I love this. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives. And in Christ, you have been, read it with me, brought to fullness, to fullness in Christ. So what do we do about all this stuff? Where do we fit? I would suggest three things. Number one, when Jesus... Lived and did his ministry in his life, he could say this in John 12, 45. The one who looks at me, what does it say? Did you know that when they first called them Christians, I think it's in Acts chapter 13, it was a derogatory slander? You knew that, right? That wasn't like a cool slogan, like, cool, I'm a Christian. Privileged in society. It was a slander. Little Christs, How many know I, I'd take that slander any day if it's true of my life? So what do we do about all this encounter, and bound, beautiful, broken, all the cool B's and cool E's and cool F's? If you look at me, you see the one who sent me. Well, by the way, Jesus turns around to his disciples, says, as I've been sent, I'm sending you Oh, boy, what does that mean? What are those implications? Come on, somebody, help me. What is the implication there? That if they see us, if you seen me, you see the one who sent me. John 12. By the way, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. Implication. When they see you, don't just don't just talk about me and tell them to do all these things and their life will be good. No, be people of encounter who go give what you have. Freely receive, John 10:8. Freely give. Right? The apostles in Acts 3. I don't got silver or gold, but I've got Jesus. And and then I love 2 Corinthians 5. We're Christ's ambassadors. God, I cannot get over this word. God is making his appeal on the earth through us. What? Look at the person next to you, through that person. I know, I know, I know, right? Look at them. <laughs> no offense. You've seen me, you've seen him. I'm sending you, they see you, let them see him. Let them see me. Why? Because on the earth, the one group of people I'm doing my bidding through are my people. <laughs> Boom. Okay, praise the Lord. I love this quote from Chris Ballath. the son of God became the son of man so the sons of men can become the sons of God. Boom. I like it. That's just cute. It's good. Jesus fully puts me. Huh. Jesus fully partook of our nature so that we could partake of his. Jesus is the prototype of humanity. He's what we were always supposed to live like. I want to close with this verse. I want us to read it together on the screen. One, two, three, go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In summary, what that verse is saying, as he is, so are we by his grace and spirit. Period. Encounter. Encounter, look for the lame among you. Physically, literally, but spiritually, you know what I'm saying. Those that are bound and broken. And then don't tap the shoulder of the person who you think is the superhero, spiritual, thank you, Acts 419. Even if you're ordinary, unschooled, and even if you're a fisherman, we talked about them last week. God's just looking for people who are available flat out. That's the truth.